This Week in HPC. HPC News from the Big Easy. Supercomputing Conference Highlights. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening in to This Week in HPC. With Intersect 360 Research and distributed at top500.org, I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. Michael, we meant to do extra podcasts during Supercomputing Week. Somehow we didn't quite get it in. Here we are at the end of the conference, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been quite a week, huh? Yeah, there actually was a lot of news. I think that was part of our problem. We were trying to catch up on everything, and it, it sort of got away from us. But yeah, there was a lot to talk about. I don't think we're going to get to it all just on this podcast, but we're going to take a good shot at it and hit the highlights. So rather than getting extra podcasts in during the week, let's just assure our listeners we'll uh, keep uh, adding on content here and make sure that we catch up on it all. Anyone listening in can tell that I've had a big week myself meeting with everybody, uh, maybe in a, a little more baritone range than I normally get into on this podcast. Podcast, but uh, uh, I'm holding up all right. It's been a, it's been a long week. Yeah, you're Let's start today. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it was it was harder yesterday. That's for sure. Let's start with uh, what's normally big news at any of these SC shows with the top 500, which we didn't hear a lot of news about this week. Right. It was it was a sort of a stagnant. Uh, uh, list for the top 500. We saw we've seen a few of those in the past, but uh, that sort of continued. And, uh, sort of a dearth, especially of new systems coming into the into the top 10. Uh, there was actually one new system at number 10. That was a, a three and a half petaflop system. It was a Cray system that's uh, I guess was installed at an undisclosed U.S. government site. But that was the only new top 10 system. But uh, as well as that, the the actual the list itself, the whole list, uh, the performance increase uh, has seemed to level out, and that's been a, a trend that's gone on for at least a couple of, of lists now, and, and it's kind of interesting to see that as well. I mean, the turnover from the bottom of the list was the lowest it's been in two decades, um, so there there's some stuff going on here. We might It might reverse, but uh, I have a feeling we're starting to see some trends. Yeah, not just slow then, but historically slow. Historically. We haven't we haven't seen this uh, this slow in a long time now. And you're saying the only change in the top ten was at number ten. I think below that there was a change at number eleven, but that wasn't a new system. That was an upgrade to the Pleiades system at NASA Ames that um, you know just moved it up a few slots from where it had been with an upgrade. So not not a new system. And and the other small trend we're seeing on the the U.S. Uh, contribution of the list is, is inching down. We've seen that in the past. It's good. There's more more geographical parity. I think we're down from the U.S. 233 last time to 231, and, and Europe took a big jump this time. They had a 116 on the June list, and now they're up to 130. Um, China's down a bit, but that, that kind of goes up and down. Um, right. Well, you're talking about counts out of 500 exactly, so it's right. a zero-sum game. Right. And, and if one's up, then another one's down somewhere. Right. There's there's not a whole lot of clear trends, although we have seen the U.S. sort of inching down slowly over a period of years. Um, Europe has been coming up, but um, there's no clear like 10-year trend. But there's there's not a lot of surprise to me that there's going to be more geographical parity as the years goes by. As the years go by, as as more people get uh, uh, some of these systems on the list, it's it's not quite the onerous task as it was. We're even seeing some some smaller companies coming up or smaller. Companies 
countries uh, able to afford some of these systems now. Well, if you're talking about seeing a trend, and I think you're right here that we have to start talking about, is this a trend in slowdown in top 500? Then you know, what do you think is behind that trend? Why, why would it be slowing down? Well, there's probably a couple of things and maybe more. Um, one of the things is there's just not a lot of new top systems uh, this time around. And the, the top systems drive a lot of the aggregate performance because right. it's, it's sort of this... Uh, this you get between curve. procurements for the EC and between right. procurements for DOE, so nothing hits the top, and therefore, you know, the, that's so much of the average that you don't see any kind of aggregate gain. Right. The ones at the bottom of the system that move don't move the list that much. Right, and and the ones in the right, the middle and the bottom of the list. I'm thinking, you know, maybe there's there's less of an emphasis on on the. Uh, Building these things up with a lot of CPUs and even even accelerators in some sense, there's there's more emphasis on data centric apps, big data apps, and so people are maybe spending more money on things like uh, DRAM or flash memory or storage to up sort of the the I/O and the data part of it, and right. less proportionally on on the processors themselves because they're looking at at the applications more that, that are that are up and coming. So that might be that might be part of it as well, but I'm not sure how much that contributes to what we're seeing. Well, well with, re with regards to the accelerators, uh, you know, I, I think that accelerators are going to be part of this list going forward. I, I'm pretty yeah. convinced we're moving into a mini-core era thing, but what we could be seeing is, is a shelf in the adoption of accelerators as people are evaluating which architectures they want to have going forward. One thing that's been very clear in our research is that there's a lot of testing of a lot of different kinds of processing elements. And we may have seen the early movers on the list who are going to declare fast for Xeon Phi or, or NVIDIA GPU computing and say, all right, we're on there. We've made a big system. And then the rest of the list is holding back until they can pick uh, which way they're going to go. And then you'll see another discontinuous jump again uh, after they've made up their mind. Yeah, I mean the actual the, the accelerators on the list that went up uh, pretty pretty healthily, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's an area we're obviously watching, and uh, it's 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 a definitely a cheap way to get peak flops, and then like you said, people are experimenting with different uh, platforms and different configurations to figure that out. To me, I think for the top 500 list, the the big trend that might contribute to a slowdown on an ongoing basis is we've always been aware that not all systems choose to go on the list. There's right. planned commercial especially. There's a lot of people who don't care about whether they're on the top 500 list or that's not the way they want to measure their system. And if an increasing proportion of the industry says that it's not worth the effort of going through the listing, uh, then that's going to slow down the uh, increases on the list. And that could also just be internal to the vendors also. If you have major system vendors who, uh, you know, of course, it's a user-submitted thing technically, but the vendors can help the process along. You know, can, can we help you get your system listed? If the vendors aren't stressing that as much, then uh, same deal. It slows down the list. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. It's just it's it's hard to figure out how many people didn't show up. I mean, raise your hands if you didn't show up. It's kind of hard to, yeah, right. to see that, but that could definitely be playing into that. It might be part of it related to that. There might be uh, 
you know, more going into sites, you know, like uh, security sites that obviously a lot of those don't make it into the list, although maybe that number 10 is. Now, there's no reason to believe that that percentage is going up from what it was, though. Right, right. We, we have no no indication that's going up. But yeah, <laughs> we, we have no inside information about all the security systems that are that are coming in to, to look at us. All right, you were talking about these accelerators, and, and there's a lot of them on the list. There's new accelerator news also from some of the significant companies here. Yeah, NVIDIA, they announced uh, a new Tesla device. That's the K80. K80. The, the, the current one, or the former one, was the K40, so they upped it by 40. Um, that's a dual uh, GPU device, and uh, lots of flops, obviously. They're up to 1.9, and, and with their GPU boost, they, they say they can go up to even 2.9 teraflops per device, which is incredibly uh, uh, efficient there. I mean, even the, uh, I think they almost doubled their even gigabits per second, although now there's two, there's two chips in there, so they've got to divide that, and they upped the memory again from 12 to uh, 24 gigabytes again with uh, with two with two separate um, uh, devices or GPUs there so they're looking at at this for obviously you know flops demanding applications and now with the, the more memory and more more bandwidth for big data apps like analytics and visualization things like that but that's a that's a very impressive uh, device now I mean that's a lot of flops and a very small footprint obviously uh, uh, to me even the the bigger part of the announcement with regards to Nvidia and the k80 is if you double click on the NV link portion of it now we've talked a little bit about NV link before but the idea of having this very high speed uh, GPU to GPU interconnect and, and having a roadmap for next generation servers looking at going from two GPUs per node, three GPUs per node, four GPUs per node at that 20 gigabyte a second NVLink, uh, I think does open some interesting configurations for them. Yeah, the NVLink is a big story for them, maybe the, the biggest story for for NVIDIA over over the next year or so as they, as they get that deployed, because that does uh, that, that is sort of a game changer as far as being able to access uh, GPUs and more of them and more efficiently. So um, definitely we'll see as these systems come out over the next uh, year or two years, uh, that's going to be a big part of the story. I mean, especially when you consider that, you know, NVIDIA did not or has not to date put out like a Maxwell test. I mean, they've got the Maxwell platform in their consumer lines, but they never came up with a, a test version of that architecture, which is a little strange to me, but um, they decided for the time being at least to skip it. So they might go directly to, to the Pascal platform, which is which is the next uh, architecture coming up. Um, they decided instead to double up on these. Um, so, yeah. You I know, think, it's a really good point. I, you could conjecture why they're doing it, although it's hard to argue with the results I, on the line that they've been on right now. And furthermore, I, I think they had uh, one of the busier booths at Supercomputing. They've been following a, what seems to me to be an effective strategy of viewing their own booth as a conference within a conference that has its own, uh, has its own speakers, has its own demos, has its own activities. They've got a, a, you know, a coding zone where people are in there porting and optimizing for CUDA. They had a, a neat visualization where they're showing the world's largest in-situ HPC visualization with 2,000 
2000 plus 2048 GPU nodes uh, on the on the Piz Taint machine. Uh, so it, there's there's a lot of activity around Nvidia. Good momentum there. Yeah, I mean the, that booth is always busy. It's always like a mini GPU technology conference on the floor. And yeah, you're right that uh, that had a lot of activity. Um, we should mention Intel, of course. The the counterpart. Right. It's, it's the, not like Intel was silent on this. No, they uh, they came out with some new information. They leak things out uh, on the on the Xeon Phi side. And again, there was sort of a some more information about the upcoming night's landing. And first thing, I think they they sort of nailed the date. I mean, they said it was going to be on the 14 nanometer technology, but actually they they said this is which which covers sort of a wide range of of a uh, wide time frame they said the We'll see the first uh, night's landing ships on systems in the second half of 2015. So that's that's not too far away. Um, and and leading us up to Knights Hill. And leading us up to Knights Hill. Now they didn't say anything about the follow-on, which is Knights Hill, like you said. But uh, they just said it's there, it's coming, and that's going to be the next architecture uh, beyond Knights Landing. And that'll be a undoubtedly a very interesting ship, but not not any specific information on it. That'll be on a on a I think the 10 nanometer technology, so they'll be able to probably add a lot more cores than we're going to see on Knight's Landing, although they haven't even confirmed how many that'll be, just at least 60. Um, so you can consider Knight's Hill, they're going to have, you know, maybe maybe close to 100 or maybe more. Um, so exciting stuff there as well. So yeah, interesting news from uh, both Nvidia and Intel. There's a lot of system news as well. So much that I don't think we want to do it in this podcast. I think what we'll do is come back in the next episode of this week in HPC uh, and uh, maybe get in some uh, extra news hitting all the the new systems. You know, we've talked in previous shows that there haven't been a lot of new system news, but I think both with new system announcements that are ready to go now and with announcements of interesting futures from a few companies, uh, there's going to be some uh, some. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on on what was new for systems. But how about for now, we just uh, skip ahead to a popular segment from us that everyone always looks for: do winners and losers. What do you think? Yeah, it's tough to pick a company or companies for winners and losers to me because there weren't, to me at least, there weren't real standouts as far as that. But um, you know, if I picked uh, a winner, I'm going to pick a technology. In fact, I'm going to pick a actually a, a metric. Um, and that's, right, what's your winner? That's a hundred gigabit per second. Uh, Networking, um, we're seeing. We saw a lot of of 100 gigabit per second. I, I thought most notably from Mellanox, but go ahead. Yeah, Mellanox. We saw they come out with they came out with their their EDR solution. Now they have it. I mean, they've they've dribbled this out. They've got different parts of the technology, and now they've come out with the the adapter end of it. So they have end to end 100 gigabit per second now. Um, uh, with the InfiniBand and, and Ethernet Connect X platform, uh, so they're sort of the first ones into the fray. There, uh, you know, very impressive uh, news about that. And they've also come out with some new cables that are going to actually uh, one of them, or there's a set that's going to be copper. Nobody thought they could do 100 gigabit per second at at copper, but they've uh, they've managed to do it for short reach basically. And they also announced some active. Uh, optical cables for for longer reaches for that 100 gigabit, um, so they're they're well into that area. But also, you know, it wasn't just Mellanox on 100 gigabit per second, though, right? Right. It was just we were just talking about the uh, the nice landing ship that's going to come out with the uh, now what they're now calling the OmniPath uh, fabric that's going right. to be integrated onto that, and that's going to be their 100 gigabit per second. Uh, 
uh, fabric that that's going to go into at least Knight's Landing, and certainly the, the Xeons uh, down down the road. It's not going to be all on chip. They're going to have adapters as well, but um, they sort of skipped. That was from the true scale technology they acquired from QLogic, or at least some of it was. And, and they, now they kind of changed that brand a little bit with different portmanteau words that they walked <laughs> through. The true scale became the Omni scale, became the Omni path. Yeah, and, right. They decided to. to They're re- trying to find the true path. The true brand. path. Yeah, well, don't give them any ideas. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's coming out. And they sort of skipped the. Uh, for the true scale technology, they skipped the the FDR, so they're going right there. And so it seems like there's some convergence there. We talked to, or I talked to, the Ethernet Alliance, and they're also looking for the general uh, HPC community and the other community. They're looking at 100 gigabit per second Ethernet as sort of the next uh, big standard, where people sort of skipped over, in certain cases, the 25 gigabit Ethernet and 40 gigabit Ethernet, and they just had a little bit of play. But they're looking like uh, 100 gigabit. Everybody's sort of going to converge on that. And that's going to be a, a big set of platforms and systems. So I don't know. Maybe it's the round number. Everybody likes 100, but uh, it does seem like 100 gigabits uh, from now and in and the near future is going to be a, a very interesting interconnect technology. And obviously, it's going to that's much faster than than we've had before. Most people are still on 10 and 40 at this point. All right. Well, let's stick with you here for a second, because you got one metric with with gigabits, or more specifically, 100 gigabits per second is your winner. You have another metric for your loser. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick flops as the the metric loser here. I mean, people obviously are still talking about flops. I mean, you know, it's kind of, kind of. We're talking about scale. We're even afraid to say exaflop. We don't even say petaflop anymore. So we started saying exascale. Right. Now we say we've we've reverse formed the word petaflop. Now we say petascale. Right. And then and then there's this this big emphasis on big data, which we heard a lot about at, at right. this conference. I mean, we heard a lot about yeah. it at the last conference, too. And then and, and data-centric computing from IBM. Yeah, and right, the the IBM announcements, they're, they're switching over to a very non-flops-oriented uh, uh, strategy and message. Which is ironic to me, because it was IBM who got us started on this whole flops <laughs> thing back in the late 90s. They were the first that we all talked about Hertz, and then IBM was the first with two flops per cycle, so they got us going on flops. Now IBM's trying to pull us away from it. Yeah, that that is sort of ironic, right? They were big top 500 boosters, and now they, they don't seem to, to care as much, but this is, you know, this is sort of the nature of the industry. I mean, people start picking out different things that are important as the application set changes. And I think what we're seeing is the application set is indeed changing. And uh, for, for especially the newer applications, the data-centric applications that are that are uh, more interesting or at least newer in certain situations, we're seeing, you know, the the flops sort of fall away. And then right. And, and we already talked about top 500 not really turning over a lot, so flops are, are kind of a loser there. I even brought this up in my analyst crossfire panel on Wednesday, where one of the speed questions I asked my panelists was, can anyone give me a firm definition of what the word exascale means? <laughs> right? We know what the word exaflop means. Is exascale just a synonym or does it mean something else? And other than a few people who said, well, it is an exaflop, which I'm perfectly willing to believe, colloquially people use the word exascale to mean exaflop. My favorite answer to that question came not from any of my 
panelists, but from uh, our own chief research officer, Chris Willard, who said very succinctly after the panel that exascale means exaflop plus software to make it work, which is to say you could you know have a, an exaflop of, of power uh, or of computing power aggregated in a room, but unless you have the middleware and application layer to use it, it doesn't count as uh, as exascale. And and he was perfectly willing to say that you could have an exaflop that wasn't exascale if you didn't have the software to make it run. That was my favorite answer I heard out of anybody. Yeah, but guess what? As soon as somebody comes up with a system that's one exaflop, everybody's going to call it an exascale system automatically. And then, that's what I've been saying. But if you want to have exascale mean something different, then Chris Willard's definition is my favorite. Yeah, well, I mean, and you, you, I think you need an application running there, too, to, to really be a, a useful exascale system. I mean, what's the point of, of cutting it up into a thousand uh, or a million terascale applications if you've got an exascale system? So right. there's a lot to it. So, yeah, so that was that was sort of my, my loser. It's not the end of flops by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, right. we're definitely seeing that. Yeah, they'll about, be around. How about you? What did you, what'd you see as a as winner here? Well, you went with metrics, so I'll go with standards. And on the winner side, I'm going to go with open power. Um, you know, open power had huge messaging all around the uh, Coral uh, announcement. It built on top of strong messages coming from uh, Mellanox with the new uh, InfiniBand and NVIDIA having uh, announcements of their own. So it seemed like open power was on everybody's lips. Not that you know it's dominated the industry yet, but from a news perspective, I, I found there to be a, a lot around open power. It helped establish IBM with a strong supercomputing message that they needed right now as their their first big show after the the, the x86 to Lenovo divestiture. So it had a lot of people talking about it uh, there, and even. There wasn't a lot of uh, direct news around ARM, but there was a lot of scuttlebutt around ARM in the in the back rooms, the NDA mm -hmm. briefings, and and I think that uh, could potentially plays into open power in the long run. Yeah, I think that is a good pick. There was a lot of talk about open ARM. I think a lot of this is being projected in the future, and I think there's still a long road to hoe here. I mean. Uh, Open power. I mean, I think the decision to go open was was definitely the thing to do. I think when I would see that as as sort of an established technology, as if one of the, one of the other tier one vendors picked it up. I mean, if we saw something like a Dell or an HP decide to invest in it all of a sudden, or even a Samsung or, or something that somebody wanted to do it at uh, with a very big uh, customer base to begin with, uh, I think then I think it would start to get very, very interesting for power. At this point, obviously, it's the beginning of this cycle. Right. It looks like they, they do have a lot of open power members in the consortium, but um, you know, there's, there's a long way to go and until it becomes a really you know viable challenger to Intel. But uh, good news well, that's, this time. That's exactly something that we talked about with a lot of people this week is that now there's a firm line in the sand that has yep. Intel on one side and uh, you know get lost Intel on the other side and the open power initiative is going to try to recruit people to the get lost Intel side and it's not going to change the industry today or, or this week or this month but the next couple of years you might see pressure for a major system vendor to, to say 
they have to pick one side or the other. So there's right. a lot, as you say, to, to evolve here still. But uh, this is definitely a trend for us to watch. We're saying now this is a big trend we're going to watch over the next couple of years, and, and this is where it starts with open power. Yeah, without a doubt. So so on the loser side, what would you pick for the loser for the, for the well, conference? If I've got open power as my winning standard, I'm going to go with the Beowulf ideal as my losing standard. I, I really have made a, a big deal out of the fact that I think we've reached the end of what we can, in, in hindsight, call the Beowulf era in supercomputing, where we had uh, you know a vector era, a risk-based SMP, SMP era, a Beowulf era, and now we're going forward into this multi-core, many-core era of, of computing. And the, one of the hallmarks of the Beowulf era was this notion of industry standards, the, the special uh, commodity uh, a node, an industry standard node that's basically the same for everybody. And it's not that clusters didn't evolve over the last 15 years. It, it, we went to 64-bit. We added higher performance, like InfiniBand. But there was nevertheless a pervasive sense of an industry standard node that people could, could find very portable across platforms. That changes to me going forward into this new era, where if there's such a thing as an industry standard node that's one thing I can port to and it works for everything, I don't know what it is. I think we're going into a, back to an area of, of specialization and diversity where there's going to be a, a big onus on the end user to decide what is the kind of node that I want for my application that I'm going to program for, port to, optimize for. And that Beowulf ideal of there's only one kind of node is, is really gone. Yeah. Well, what do you think is, 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 is driving that, that diversity now? Well, a part of it is uh, people talk about limitations to, to Moore's law and how far right. you can push things. You just get to the end of physics in one particular direction. The other is the the strange bedfellows game that we referred to, where uh, you know p uh, people aren't just going to follow the the one uh, x86 path into the future right. uh, with a with one dominant vendor. You're going to have all of these other options, even even within uh, you know, x86, you've got regular standard multi-core, then you've got accelerated multi-core, and then even before you consider GPUs and ARMs and APUs and DSPs and FPGAs, you know, there's there's just now so much going on. You, you reach the end of what you could do in one direction, and now we're casting out in a lot of different directions to figure out what the next big platform's going to be. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think those two, those two areas is what's driving it. But I've seen this coming for a while. I remember you know, even four or five years ago, I was thinking, "Hey, there's there's diversity showing up already. There's much more sure. than it was." And it's we talked like, about this at Supercomputing a couple of years ago that yeah. the diversity in processor choices was at a point we'd never seen before. Now is really the first time where I'm willing to say the Beowulf era is entirely over, and, and we've started a new era. Yeah, I mean, it's the good. Beowulf bash, on the other hand, is still an excellent party <laughs> yeah. on uh, the, the celebrating the 20th anniversary of Beowulf clusters. The Beowulf bash on Monday at Mardi Gras World was fantastic. It and was. I hope that will continue. That we don't re need to rename the Beowulf bash because <laughs> it's an it's an open community party that's for everybody. That part of the Beowulf ideal ideal is alive and well. Now that's a historical icon. Whatever happens to the Beowulf clusters, I think that'll that'll go on beyond the. Uh, 
the platform itself. As long as there's an HPC community to bring together, the Beowulf Bash should live on. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun there. All right. Well, let's wrap it up then for this episode. We've gone on for already what's a long podcast for us, and we've only scratched the surface of all of the news that we could bring you from SC14 in New Orleans. But for now, I think we've covered that much news. We'll wrap up this episode. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 